Those of you out in the hallway, let's come on in so we can get started. Don't want to leave you guys behind. Go ahead and turn to James chapter 1. Let's go ahead and pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I'm going to ask you to do something. Go ahead and stand with me. You know, a few weeks ago, I... We'd done a series on, on praying in tongues, you know, being baptized in the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues. And, you know, talked about how that benefits you, it, it builds you up, it um, strengthens your faith. And I think it helps you, helps us, it prepares us to receive what God wants to do, what He wants to say. And so, what I'd like to encourage you to do right now is. I'm going to encourage you, those of you who have the gift of praying in tongues, I'm going to encourage you to do that for the sake of and the purpose of you building yourself up so that you can receive what the Lord is wanting to speak to you. And those of you who don't have that gift yet, what I want to encourage you to do is just pray in, in your regular language, English or, or Swahili or whatever language you speak most fluently in, and just ask the Holy Spirit to help prepare your heart to receive what he wants for you today, okay? So let's just begin to pray right now. I want to encourage you to be, be active. Be active. Go ahead and pray. Just pray. Pray it out. Pray it out. Let's not whisper pray, but let's pray. Let's pray in faith, believing that what we're doing is going to make a difference. Not just going through the motions, but we're praying in faith that what we're doing is making a difference. That when we're asking God to prepare our hearts, that we truly believe that He is going to prepare our hearts to receive what He has for us today. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, O God, for your gifts. Thank you for your help. Thank you for the help of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for helping us. And Father, we don't want to just go through the motions. We choose not to. We choose to disengage from just going through the motions and we engage in faith, O God. We engage in, in cooperation with the Holy Spirit and in, in engaging in what you've told us to do, Father. You said that we can build up ourselves as we pray in the Holy Spirit. You said that our faith can be built as we pray in the Spirit, O God. And so we're doing this in faith, believing that our faith is going to be strengthened. Thank you, O God. We thank you for what you want to speak to us today, what you want to deliver to us today. Father, thank you for helping me. Thank you for the anointing. Of the Holy Spirit to deliver your word effectively. Holy Spirit, thank you for teaching and speaking through me this morning. And Father, we declare that we have hearts to hear. You said if any man has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. Father, we choose to hear. We choose to line ourselves up with what the Spirit of the Lord wants to say this morning. And we say thank you, Father. Thank you, O God. We receive your word this morning. We prepare our hearts to hear what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. James chapter 1. I want to tag team and kind of catapult off where Greg left off. or where He spoke for the last couple of weeks on um, the soul and our spirit man. If you weren't here in either one of last week or the week before that, I want to encourage you, you can go to the website, ncfok.org. You can download or you can listen to it straight from your computer. I would encourage you to listen to those two messages because I'm not going to even attempt to review what he talked about. Uh, other than he mentioned that we are a spirit and we have a soul and we, and we live in a body. We are a triune being just like our creator. 
And once we're born again, when we invite Jesus into our lives, when we commit our lives to him, the Bible says that we're born again. The spirit of God comes and dwells in our spirit. So our spirit man, poof, is instantly born again, instantly regenerated, recreated. But there's still a situation with our soul. And that's the part, because see, we were saved spiritually. We're being saved in our soul, and we will be saved Concerning our bodies, our bodies are going to be instantly changed when Jesus comes back. However that works out, whatever that looks like, whether you're pre-mid or post, don't care, it doesn't matter, it's going to happen. When Jesus comes back, when we see him, our bodies are going to change. So they'll be, so however messed up they are, they're going to be totally awesome. You're going to be able to walk through walls and that kind of stuff. That'll be pretty cool. I'm going to try that out when I get my new body. But anyway, so our bodies are going to be safe, so we don't have to... That's not something we have to really worry about. But the main thing, and here's what we can get hung up on, is the transformation of our soul. Sanctification is the word. It's the process, the daily process of our soul being saved, our soul being transformed. And so that's what I want to talk about. It's like, how does that happen? Look in James chapter 1, verse 21. It says, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So our soul needs to be saved. Turn to uh, Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one. Excuse me, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Sorry about that. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And remember Greg talked about, he talked about being transformed. And that word transform, I think it's metamorpho or something like that. And it's the the picture of it is uh, a caterpillar being transformed into a butterfly. And as Greg mentioned, it has the same DNA, but it looks totally different. Same characteristics for the most part, but it's, it's totally different. And the Bible is telling us. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the good, acceptable, perfect will of God is. So God's will is for you to be transformed. To be transformed. To be transformed. And he's talking about, because here he says, um, by the renewing of your mind. And, and remember, Greg talked about the mind is part of your soul. Mind, will, and emotions. That's the soulish realm. So right here, your soul, your mind is to be transformed By its renewing. And look up here, it says, do not be conformed to this world. So I submit to you that if you are not in the process of being transformed or if you're not being transformed, then you are being conformed to the world. You're being conformed to this world, which he tells us not to be conformed to. So if we're not being transformed to the image of Jesus, if our soul's not being changed, then we are being conformed to the world. So it's one or the other. It's one or the other. And so what I want to talk about today is how does this happen? You know, we've, you've heard me mention, we've talked about cooperating with God's process, you know, cooperating with his, with what he's doing, lining ourselves up with the Lord. And, you know, we hear these terms, but if you can't tell me how to do that practically, then don't bother to tell me. Because, see, a lot of times we can say spiritual things. But if, I, if I'm not given an understanding, okay, how do I do that? What does it mean to line up with Jesus? What does it mean to follow his will? What does it mean to be transformed? How do I do that? And what I appreciate is God's word is pretty clear on how to do that. And so you can specifically, you can on purpose line yourself up with the Lord and allow him to transform you. Turn to... Um, John chapter 8. John chapter 8. 
verse 31. John chapter 8, verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, who believed him. So in other words, these people believed in him, put their faith in him. If you abide in my word or if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. So if you abide or continue in my word, then are you my disciples. Then he goes on and says, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Now, this is one, I believe this is one of the most, well, I'm not going to say one of the most because you can say that about a lot of verses. But this is one of those verses that's grossly misquoted. How many of you have heard, the truth shall set you free? How many of you have heard that? The truth shall set you free. Well, that's part of it, but that's not all of it. There's a way for the truth to set you free. And it says, if you abide in my word, then you are my disciples. In other words, if you continue in my word, the word of God, the word that Jesus has given us which is this Bible right here, or the one you're holding in your hands. He says, if you continue in my word, if you abide in it, do it, then are you my disciples. And see, we're called to be disciples, learners of Jesus, students of his, to follow him. Then he says, and you shall know the truth, then the truth shall make you free. So the way to be set free, to live in freedom, to walk in freedom, is to know the truth. The way to know the truth is to continue in it. So we receive the word, we continue it, we walk in it, we apply it, then we shall know it, and then it will set us free. We can't just skip to the part of being set free. There's a process, and that's what I want to talk about today, the process. How do we become transformed? I have some nourishment here. Anybody recognize this? Anybody still using one of these? The ball's got some. These are gracefully overrated. And gross at the same time. But you know, when you're born again, the Bible talks about, you hear in the word that it refers to Paul and different apostles refer to the word as the milk or the milk as the word. In other words, is a symbolic picture of uh, feeding on the word like a baby needs milk. And see, when, you're, when a baby's born, we feed him milk, whether it's, it's uh, a nursing baby from his mother's breast or Similac formula or whatever. But the baby needs to have milk to grow, to be nourished, and to survive. Yeah. And, then, and also, as a Christian, so as a newborn Christian, it's important for you to carry one. I mean, it's important for you to... To feed on the word so that you can be nourished. Amen. And then as you grow up a little bit, you can graduate to more tastier stuff. Ooh, scary. Now, this is a uh, baby food. And it's, you know, after babies, they grow up a little bit. They, they continue on the milk, but then they're old enough to. I need something to wash it down. <laughs> then, they, then, then they can feed on the, the soft food. And so as we grow as Christians, we start off with the milk. And as we continue to grow, then we can start on the more solid stuff, which is not really solid, but it's more solid than this. And then we continue to grow. Now, if we don't, if we don't nourish ourselves with food, then guess what? We're not going to grow, Right. But then as we continue to grow, then we get to graduate to better stuff. And and the Bible talks about the meat of the word. Mm -mm. Steak. Mmm. That's pretty good. Thanks, Ron. That's pretty good. Anybody got any baked potatoes to go with that? (laughs) I told you I'd save you some. And so as we continue, excuse me, <clears throat> can you wash that down some more? My mom told me never to talk with food in my mouth, so I had to finish that. Turn over to, um, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Because here's a problem that Paul had to address. And if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves in the same same dilemma. 
First Corinthians chapter three. First Corinthians chapter three, verse one. And it says and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you're still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? So Paul came to minister to the church in Corinth, and he couldn't even, <coughs> excuse me, they were so immature, they were so carnally minded, that they couldn't even handle the milk. I like this. This is good. Thanks. Appreciate it. So basically what you had is you had a bunch of people walking around with bottles in their hands. So imagine if if you walked into a church like this and you're a visitor and you walk into a church and you see all of us adults walking around sipping on these. You'd probably exit the church really fast, wouldn't you? You'd probably be gone. Turn to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Verse 12. It says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are, a, who are mature or are full, of age, full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Or who by reason of practice have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. See, here's the problem. If you don't, when you're born again, it's time to start nourishing, being nourished on the milk of God's word. And we'll talk about that in a second, what that means and how to do that. But the problem is, is you have people who have been born again, saved. 10, 15, 20 years who are still walking around with bottles because this is all they can handle. And Paul desired, he said, I've come to minister to you, but all I can do is give you milk and can't even really take care of that or, or do that. And then he says that here in Hebrews uh, says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the, the very the basic principles and you have come to need milk and not solid food. I've seen people who are born again for maybe two years, a lot more spiritually mature than people who may have been born again for 10 years. How many of you know what I'm talking about? See, our spiritual growth has nothing to do with our natural age, really. It doesn't have to do with our natural age. But it has to do with a person, two people can be born again today. And in five years from now, you look at those two people and one can be really mature in Christ and the other one's almost the same as when you first saw them five years ago. What makes the difference? It's what they decide to do with the word. With the word of God. Turn to James chapter one again. Actually, excuse me, Romans chapter eight, Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter 8. Verse 5 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be fleshly minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind or the fleshly mind is enmity against God, for it is not it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And then remember, this is what Paul was talking to the Corinthians. He said, you are fleshly. I couldn't feed you 
the Word of God like I want it to because you're still carnal. In other words, you're still fleshly. And what that means is you have a group of Christians who are born again. Their spirit is born again, but their soul has not been transformed to the place where it should be, where Paul thought it should be. And how did he know that? Because they were acting immature. They were fighting, bickering, strife, envy, jealousies, comparing one. You know, I'm of Paul or I'm of Apollos or I'm of this. I'm of that. And see, the problem with churches, and I believe specifically in the in the 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 American church. Overall, generally speaking, it is grossly immature. The American church is grossly immature. And I believe the reason why is because we have not given ourselves to the discipleship process. We have not given ourselves to God's word. But the problem is, is we have a, when it comes to America, we do not lack in, in, in it, um, information. We probably have more information as far as spiritual things than any other country in the world. We, we have all the stuff. We have all these books, DVDs. We have great teachers, preachers. We have wonderful churches we can go to. We have Internet, all this kind of stuff that, that is at our disposal. But yet, for some reason, we're still immature. And so how do we, now we can't do anything about the whole church, right? But we can do something about ourselves. And if I were to ask you to raise your hand, I know many of you, if not all of you would, if I said, how many of you not only want to know God's will, but you want to walk effectively in God's purpose and plans for your life? And everybody probably would raise their hands in here. But do you realize this is God's will right here? This is it right here. God's will right here. So if I want to know God's will, then I have to give myself to this and I will know it. I will know it. So how do we become transformed? Turn back to Romans chapter 12. Let's start getting practical. (coughs) Remember verse 2, it said, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed By the renewing of your mind, then you may prove what is the good, acceptable, perfect will of God. So there's a process there again about God's will be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So how are we transformed? How are we transformed? Anybody? By our minds being renewed. Okay, that's okay. Our minds being renewed. How do we renew our minds? What does it take to renew our mind? The word of God. The word of God. So we take the word of God to renew our mind. And then as we're renewing our mind, we are transformed. And then in that process, we'll begin to be able to prove out and understand what God's good, acceptable, perfect will will is. So if we want to be renewed or transformed, our mind has to be renewed. And we say it's the word of God that changes or renews our mind. Then we have to give ourselves to this. We have to. If this is what renews our mind, then I have to partake of this. Would you agree with that? And can I say there are no shortcuts? There aren't any shortcuts. You know, I can make a lot of money if I could tell you, if I could convince you that if you buy my CD set for $49.95 plus shipping and handling, that I can help you to become transformed without actually having to read the word of God. I'd make a lot of money, wouldn't I? Because unfortunately, we want to, we want the goods, we want to walk in the fullness of God, but we want to skip the very process that he's given us to be able to do that. You know, I, I used to think, a long time ago, I used to think they were real cute. But then I became a little frustrated with it. You know those, you'll see, like these little bread things. Maybe you have one, don't tell me if you do. But these little things, it's called like God's daily bread. And there's these little scripture tabs. You take a little scripture out and then it has, you know, Jesus wept or whatever the scripture is for the day. You know, anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, they don't, I don't know if they make them anymore, but we've seen them. They've been around for a long time. And the only problem I have with that is some people use that as their daily bread. In other words, they, they pull 
a scripture out and it says, Jesus wept. They put it back. I read the word. And then they go about their daily business. Thinking, I've read the word, so I'm okay. And then they do that every day and they read their little scripture. And I can promise you if that person, if that's all they do, they're going to be very immature for a long time. And they're not going to be moving towards the transformation that God has in store for that person. Are you with me so far? Turn back to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. There it is. And verse 21 says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Again, receive with weakness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So the Bible tells us in Romans 12 that we're transformed by the renewing of our mind, mind being changed by reading God's word. And right here it says that our soul is saved when we with meekness or humility receive the implanted word. So we have two scripture references that says we need to give ourselves to the word of God. Now, there's two things. There's two things that we have to do if we want to be transformed, if we want to be actively and aggressively moving in the area of being transformed. One is, number one, is we have to give ourselves to the Word of God. We have to. There's no way around it. We have to. Now, you can still go to heaven and not read the Bible for the rest of your lives. Still go to heaven. But you will miss... A great portion of what God has intended for you here and then the rewards that you will have stored up in heaven. Did you hear that? So your salvation does not depend on how much you read the word. You can keep your Bible closed. If you've committed your life to Jesus, accepted him, your sins are forgiven. You cannot read the word the rest of your life and still make it to heaven. So I want to make sure you understand that your salvation has nothing to do with how much or how little you read, how much or how little you pray, has nothing to do with works. The works were done on the cross. Okay? So we're not talking about works here. We're not talking about earning God's, we're not talking about earning salvation. But we're talking about growing up in Christ. And I perceive that many of you here want to grow up. You want to continue to grow. You want what God has for you. You're not satisfied with just getting into heaven. You're not satisfied with that. I'm not satisfied with it. And I'm going to be glad to get there, but I'm not satisfied. I'm hungry because I'm getting to know Jesus and getting to understand that he has purposes and plans for me. I hunger for that. And I crave that. And I want that. And I perceive that you are the same way. So how do we do it? So we have to give ourselves to the word. We have to read the word. We have to give ourselves to the word consistently. Don't raise your hand, but I don't know what the statistics are, but I would be willing to say if I studied the statistics, and you can probably look this up on the Internet or whatever, that most Christians, born-again Christians, have not read the full Bible, have not read the entire Bible. So one thing I would encourage you to do is to read the entire Bible in a week. Just kidding. Make sure you're paying attention. But it's important to read the whole Bible. Why? So you can understand the full counsel of God. So you can understand what's in it. To know what's in there. There's a lot of stuff in it. There's a lot of good stuff, cool stuff, awesome stuff, and weird stuff. We can make some awesome movies with just some of the stories in here. There's some scary stuff. There's some stuff that's like, hmm, I don't understand that. God, what was that all about? There's some pretty cool stuff in here. So I would encourage you, there's all kinds of plans, routines, uh, reading the Bible daily programs to help you to read the Bible through in a year or two years or however long. But I would encourage you to, to participate and do that at some point in time. And also what you need to do is <clears throat> you need to have a systematic study of the word. 
And that sounds maybe scary or intimidating. What I mean by a systematic study is a regular routine where you're reading it daily or almost daily. And let me give you an example of something that, that I learned a, a few years ago, and I like this. I don't know if I learned it from Teresa or a book she read or whatever, but uh, I got this idea from Teresa. Where you take a book of the Bible, like let's say Ephesians. Ephesians has, I believe, six chapters or Timothy or, or one of those. Galatians has a good, not too, it's not too big of a book. It has about six chapters. And you say, okay, I'm going to read Ephesians this week, and I'm going to read the book three or four times. Read it, let's say, three times. So what you do is you read it. You read through the whole thing. You know, Ephesians chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, all the way through chapter 6. And then a day or two later, you read it again. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, through 6. And then a couple of days later, you read it again. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. And what you do before you start reading, what I do is I get my Bible out. You get a notebook out, something to write with. And you say, Holy Spirit, as I read your word, I ask you to teach me. Jesus said, I'm going to send the helper, right? And so we don't want to read the, we don't want to read the word just for the sake of reading, but we want the helper to help us read it. So you can pray in tongues, build yourself up, but ask, specifically ask the Holy Spirit to teach you. And I'm encouraging you to do that. Specifically ask. Because we don't want to just engage in religious exercises, which we do too often. And here's one thing I want to encourage you with. I want to challenge you with this. And I want you to hear me. Some of us are so, um, we feel so inadequate and do not feel that we can learn the word of God, that we have to always have a teaching resource. We have to have somebody's Bible study tool to get us through the Bible study, to get us through the Bible studying. And those things are okay. But the problem is, is we learn to become used to and, and uh, we lean on those things instead of the real helper, the Holy Spirit. You hear what I'm saying? Now, we've been gifted with things. There are great tools and resources out there. But what happens is, is you say, well, I'm going to get someone like Beth Moore. Or I'm going to get, you know, these great people. I'm not taking anything away from them. But we, we lean on their ability to hear from God, and we don't trust that we have the ability to hear from God. And what you are saying is, Holy Spirit, I believe Beth Moore can help me more than you can. We, we have to take God at his word. If he says, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit to help you, he's going to lead you in all the truth. Then say, okay, God, thank you. Holy Spirit, teach me your word. Teach me your word. And so you sit down and you pray and you worship and ask him to teach you. Then you begin to read. Just begin to read. Don't, you know, grunt and all that kind of stuff. Just begin to read. I mean, you know how we do. We're trying to get something out of it. We're trying so we can say, oh, I have something. I got something. Just read the word and trust that he's going to show you something. And if all of a sudden a verse jumps out at you, stop and pay attention to it. Holy Spirit, what are you trying to teach me here? And you may get some thoughts. Write them down. And then move on. That's simple. That's simple. I've got some of the greatest revelations from the word of God just doing that simple thing right there. Just doing that because the Holy Spirit is teaching me and he wants to teach you. So please understand, if you forget anything else I said today, remember this one thing. The Holy Spirit is here to help you learn and understand the word of God. Now, I'm not saying don't go out and buy Beth Moore's books or whoever's books. I'm not saying that. Do you you hear what I'm saying? Am I communicating effectively? It's okay to read these books. I'll read a lot of books. But if you are not reading this regularly, then I want to encourage you not to read those books. Because then what you're doing is you're substituting. You're putting those above this. Those things. Because here's what happened. The Bible talks about in Ephesians, talks about that, uh, that the work, the fivefold ministry is to equip the saints for the, you know, to help them do the work of the ministry and all that kind of stuff. So that they grow up in maturity so they're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that comes along the scene. See, what happens is we get all these, we, these fad doctrines, these things that sound really cool. And we read a book and says, oh, this is really cool. I'm going to go for this. And we go for it. And then we get another book. Oh, this is really cool. And so we're just bouncing back and forth. And we become real flaky and shallow and, and all kinds of stuff like that. So we're just kind of bouncing around. Because since we don't know this, 
whatever we read, we just take it hook, line, and sinker. We believe it. And we can believe some trash. You know, there's a book right now by a Christian, a pastor, that says there is no hell. Very popular book. My son texted me a few, a few months ago and said, Dad, have you heard about this? What's going on with this? He says, people he know, people that he knows are reading this and believing it. It's a bunch of lies. But why don't they know it's a lie? Because they do not know the word of God. So they'll read something that sounds good to the mind, feels good to the flesh. And they say, this has got to be right because it feels so good. And the Bible talks about it. I, I shared some scriptures with, with my son that that's going on. It's going to happen in the end days that people are going to begin to accumulate teachers for themselves that say things that tickle their ears. Say, ooh, that sounds good. Ooh, that sounds good. I like that. And they gravitate towards that. And they turn away from the faith. They deny the very faith of Jesus. And their faith is shipwrecked. And the Bible talks about in the last days, it's going to be very prevalent. And I believe we're in the last days. So what's going to protect you from that? This right here. See, because what happens is, it's just like, you know, when um, I heard that how they train tellers to recognize counterfeit money. Is they just give them the real money for weeks. They just give them real money, 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 real money. They don't say, okay, here's the real, here's the counterfeit. You feel that? Counterfeit. Real. They don't do that. Real, 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 real. Week after week after week. Then all of a sudden they slip in a fake one. Guess what happens? Ooh, what's wrong with this? This one's fake. They know the truth, so when the error tries to come in, they recognize it instantly. But when they try to give them the real money and show them the fake money at the same time, they get confused. If you let this get into you and you give yourselves to reading this word and just letting it wash you. Then all of a sudden when something comes along and it's error, you may not understand why it's wrong. You may be, it may be someone that can just talk you frontwards, backwards, upside down. And you can't explain why this is wrong. But your spirit saying, says error, wrong. But if you do not know this, then you can get duped just like a lot of people are. So it's so important to give ourselves to systematic, regular study of God's word. And I'm talking about the daily type of stuff. Not We don't have to necessarily know all the deep, deep, deep revelations on the fifth heaven and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about daily stuff. Okay, number two. And here's where the rubber meets the road. Here's where people miss it. Turn to James again, chapter 1, verse 21. I never saw this until recently. I never saw this connection. Because I was reading the Word, and I learned something. Holy Spirit taught me something. Verse 21, it says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted Word, which is able to save your souls. Right? We understand that. Receive the implanted Word, which is able to save our souls. But, next verse, but, big but, everybody say but. The B-U-T, not the T-T, okay? Okay, it says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Here's the problem. Because we have so much information in America, because it's so readily available and everything, we think that we are growing because we're reading the word. We're reading, accumulating, understanding, memorizing, getting all this knowledge, 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 knowledge. The Bible says knowledge puffs up. So just because you have a lot of Bible knowledge, how many people know people who can quote all kinds of scripture, but you look at their lifestyle and you see a big gap? You know what I'm saying? It's like, man, they can quote scriptures backwards and forwards, but look at their lifestyle. It's like, hmm, I'm confused. We equate knowing God's word with memorizing information. The key is, verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only who deceive themselves. So here's two parts of the same coin. You have to give yourself to the word regularly, systematically, and then you have to be a doer of the word. 
And that's where the transformation happens. When the Holy Spirit, and see, here's how you want, this is a good reason why it's good to have the Holy Spirit teach you the Word. Because as you're reading the Word, see, the Holy Spirit, more than Beth Moore, or more than Keith Moore, or more than Perry Stone, or more than and whoever, Jimmy Swear, all these people that, the Holy Spirit knows more than they do what you need right now. You know what I'm saying? And so you can read all these good books and these these Bible studies, but that may not be what you need right now. But the Holy Spirit says, I know exactly what you need. I know what the Lord's wanting to do in you right now. So as you're reading, he points out things that you need right now. And then he will give you the grace to implement that word and apply that word if you continue to submit to him. Otherwise, if you give yourself the Bible study, you just accumulate a lot of knowledge, a lot of knowledge, a lot of knowledge, a lot of knowledge. You get puffed up and you think you're further along. You think you're more mature than you really are. And then what happens? The storms of life come in and kick your butt with the two T's. Remember, Jesus said when he was preaching that that famous discourse and he ended Matthew chapter seven, verse 24, he says, now he those paraphrasing those who hears these words of mine. And does not put them into practice is like a man, a foolish man, who built his house on the sand. Remember he talks about building the house? They build it on the sand, the foundations in the sand. The storms of life come and destroys the house, and great is its destruction. But those who hear my words and puts them into practice. If you look in that passage and notice, the same storms will come. He didn't say, if you put my words into practice... You'll be shielded from the storms. That's not what he says. He says the rains will come and descend and, and burst against that house. But guess what? Your house stands. The only difference is both of them heard. Remember the wise man and the unwise man, the foolish, heard what Jesus said. They both heard. They're both sitting in church. They're saying, amen, hallelujah, preach it, brother. They're saying all that. So they both hear it. One begins to put it into practice and the other doesn't. One stands when the storms come and the other doesn't. Because when we put it into practice, when we put Jesus' words into practice, we're building our lives, our foundation on his word. So you can be assured and be comforted in the fact that the storms of life are going to come. And they're going to come really hard. But our only assurance of being able to stand is God's word that we've allowed him to build into our lives. So we know how to respond when the storms come. For example, when you get falsely accused or you get offended by somebody, somebody comes in and, and does something evil, wicked in your life against you, hurt you. Or is a misunderstanding or, or an offense comes. And Jesus said offenses will come. And you can have all this Bible knowledge and all this kind of stuff and know all the ins and outs. And when Jesus comes back, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib and all that kind of stuff. And that's not going to do anything for you when this offense comes. And so what happens is we know all this knowledge and this fence comes and we're not able to apply this because it doesn't have anything to do with this. And then we fall. We, we allow bitterness to grab a hold of our souls. We begin to form judgments against people. And then what happens is we begin, you know, we may, may be walking along God's path and all of a sudden we get sidetracked because we're bitter, we're offended, we're upset. And it didn't have to be as, as obvious as a direct assault. It can be a, a small thing, an offense. I could say something from the pulpit, or I could say something to you personally, and you take it a certain way, and you get offended. And instead of coming and talking to me and saying, hey, you know, when you said this, that really bothered me. What did you mean by that? Or I'm upset. Instead of us getting it worked out, that process, you take up offense, and you go away, and you tell everybody else about how I offended you. And then this offense begins to grow in your life. And the Bible says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Or guess what will happen? You give a place for the devil. Real estate. You give him legal permission to come into your life and begin to cause problems in your soul. And so instead of moving down the path that God has and the purposes and, and all that cool stuff, you're sitting down because you're offended. 
Anybody know what I'm talking about? But see, if you're reading the word and you're saying, Holy Spirit, teach me. And he might bring you to a passage or illuminate a passage that deals with offense about forgiveness in these things. You know, forgive those who have who have persecuted you or wrongfully used you. And, you know, he he brings you along this path. And then the situation happens because do you think that he knows what's going to happen? You think the Holy Spirit knows what's going to happen ahead of time? So do you think that if he's sent to be yours and my helper, that he would like to help you, like give you the answers ahead of time? So, okay, here's a test you're about to go through. Let me, let me get you ready for it. Okay, let's, here we go. And we learn and we listen. Then all of a sudden, the test comes. Bang! It hits us. But we've listened and we submitted to the grace of God. And so when that storm comes and hits us, it, it rocks us or whatever, but it doesn't destroy us. Because we've submitted to the Lord, received his grace, and able to put into practice what he taught me, and I'm able to respond instead of react. And God's able to glorify himself in that situation, and other people might get saved. I mean, you see what I'm getting at? You understand that practical, that that illustration? But I think one of the biggest things that takes people out of the church, out of God's God's purposes is offense. And we seem to be so surprised and shocked when offense happens. Jesus says it's going to happen. And as a Christian in the church, guess where most of the offenses are going to happen to you? Right here. You know why I think that happens? Because in the world, when you're at the workplace or you're outside, you have your shields up. Okay, I know the world acts a certain way. I know. And so when they offend you or they persecute you, whatever, you you praise God. Thank you, Jesus. I'm supposed to be, I'm going to be persecuted, you know, because the righteous shall be persecuted, all that kind of stuff. So for the most part, we may have our shields up. And then maybe around Christians, we let our shields down. Which we should be able to. But unfortunately, let our shields in, all of a sudden we get broadsided, bang, by this offense or by something this person says. And then we get all huffy and puffy and offended and everything. And we can handle that situation the biblical way, or we can handle it the fleshly way, the soulish way, the carnal way, and make everything worse. So giving ourselves to the word and then responding to the grace of God to be able to do the word, be doers of the word. And in closing, I want to say one thing, one ministry. And see, all of this is called discipleship. It's discipleship. That's why we do love and respect. Because love and respect is not a magic formula, but it, what it is, it takes a, passion, a portion of the scriptures out of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through 31, about husbands and wives loving and respecting each other. And he expounds on it, and he explains how to do it practically. So you go and you receive the word of God, then you take it home and begin to apply it, begin to practice it. Because if you go to that conference and just hear to love your um, wife or to respect your husband and just hear, all that, oh, that was really good, that was really good. But if you don't do it, then you just wasted your time. But the purpose of that is to help you be transformed in your marriage. Growing kids God's way or parenting classes, what we're offering right now. That's another discipleship tool. To help you, the Bible's clear on us training our children up. And so we give ourselves to a a practical discipleship uh, teaching that's going to help us along the process in that particular area. And another one that I'm, you've heard me say this over and over again. Father's heart ministry. And the reason why I'm so excited about that one is because just like. I'm benefiting, I've benefited in the love and respect. That's why we love that one so much, because it does a wonderful job in helping couples. And just like growing kids God's way, I've benefited from that. Like Cornell was saying, see, my kids are still alive, too, because I participated in growing kids God's way. I haven't killed them all. And we're still learning and growing. And, and I thank God for that, for those wonderful tools and encouragement in that. And also, Father's heart, which has helped me. To deal with the soul sores. Let me call them that. 
See, some of us have some really big, big sores in our soul, some really big wounds. Some maybe not as big as others, but some of us have some real big ones. And if you do not deal with, allow the Holy Spirit to deal with you in those soul wounds, you're going to be stuck. You ever seen a person who may be 40, but they remind you of a 16-year-old? They act like a 16-year-old, or it's like, man, what is it with that person? I mean, intellectually, they're okay, they're there, but just emotionally, they just remind you of a teenager. It's like, what's going on? They're stuck. They have some soul issues, some soul woundings that they're stuck in, and they just go around in circles. And Father's Heart, to me, is a wonderful tool to help you to identify those soul woundings, address them, and to move right through them. And it's helped me to know how to keep other ones from forming. Because I've had many times, plenty of times to be offended. Plenty of opportunities to be upset. You know, when I threw away $3,700, that was a real opportunity to be upset, to be offended, to be angry. But because of what I've learned, I applied it by the grace of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not stuck in that area. That's why we keep offering that. We keep talking about Father's Heart Ministry. And the the word says that you need to, with humility or with meekness, receive the implanted word. That means you need to humble yourself. But the problem is, is we all think we're okay. I'm good. I'm good. Well, that's a great ministry. Yeah, that's awesome. I don't need it, though. I'm good. That's not humility. The Bible says, with humility, receive the engrafted word or the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Let's stand together. Now, I know this is review. There's nothing new. But I believe the Holy Spirit wanted to.